We will be in Acts chapter 9 today. We're going to be picking up in verse 31. We've been covering the conversion of Saul over the past few weeks. Before Saul left Jerusalem for Damascus, many believers fled to safer cities near and far. Only the apostles were left in Jerusalem. But being in Jerusalem didn't mean that they were not preaching, not teaching, not praying. They were still doing what they did in Jerusalem. They were leading others to Christ. So even though everyone fled and it says only the apostles stayed, well, they continued to share the good news there in Jerusalem, and people were getting saved. And then Saul got saved on the road to Damascus. Sometimes we underplay that. And let me give you a, a, a bigger picture of that. Let's just say that there is a cardinal that's at the Vatican and he's going out to go arrest people that he disagrees with, that he's going to bring them in to charge them. You see, the religious rulers of the day, they had a lot of power. They can do that. And this cardinal, on his way to arresting people, becomes familiar with who Jesus is in an experience on the road. And all of his fellow cardinals and the Pope and all the other people would be very upset that he changed parties and he went with this group of people he didn't agree with. Well, I'm specifically pointing out is a conversion from Catholicism in, in, into um, Christianity by the Bible, not through religion. And that's hard for some people to hear. I was raised Catholic. I know many of you were too. But Paul was raised in religion. He believed his religion was the only way to get to heaven. So did the Catholics. They used to kill people for reading the Bible. They would take their Bibles away from them and they would burn their Bibles and kill them because they weren't supposed to be reading the Bible. Only the leaders in the Catholic Church were able to do that. Well, that's the same thing we're seeing even today where there are many religions that say, Oh, not that they're the only way, but that all religions are the same. That, you know, you don't, it doesn't matter what you believe. You can be Buddhist or you can be Hindu. You can be Muslim. You can be one of many religions or you could be many religions. And it's okay. It all ends up in the throne of God and they're right. They will end up at the throne of God. But it's not going to be a good experience. You see, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. 
Now, why am I starting out so boldly in my message today? I'll tell you why. Because if people don't understand a clear message of what we believe, then they may believe that, oh, you could just be a good person and get to heaven. You don't need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Believe in him in such a way that you live your life for him. And that's how you prove what you believe. We prove what we believe not by working for what we believe. The works that we do are evidence of what we believe. So when we do good things, when we decide to follow the truth rather than following a lie, when we decide to believe in Jesus and trust in what he said rather than accepting our own way, well, I'm just a good person. I don't, I'm not as bad as the other people out there. There are a lot of bad people out there, aren't there? And I'm, I'm fairly good compared to them. Unfortunately, that's not the comparison we need to make. How are we compared to Jesus? That's the standard. That's where we set the bar. How do we compare to perfection? And I fail every time. As all of you do too. And I may not know you, but I'm sure that that statement is true. Because we're human. And the Bible tells me so. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so now as we start off with this boldness in speech, that's how Paul was when he went out there. He wanted to set the record straight from the beginning. He wanted everyone to know where they stood in Jesus Christ. He wanted them to know so they didn't have a Damascus moment. They didn't have to have Jesus come down and blind them so that he could get their attention. He wanted them to know by the testimony of other believers. And so that's what he was doing. Now that his eyes were open, now he's going out sharing the good news with everyone else. And so the church that had formed in Judah and Judea, Samaria, and um, in Galilee, this church was now thriving in these regions. And today's message is titled, Peter Arose. We take a look at how the church is doing in verse 31 of Acts 9. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So here these churches were formed by the people that left Jerusalem because there was persecution from the religious system that they were following. And there was persecution and they fled to get away from the persecution. The persecution was because they chose to believe in Jesus Christ and to follow him. 
And so they went out into these other regions. They were still attending synagogue, but they believed something different than what was being taught. And so Saul was going to arrest them, bringing them in until he met Jesus. So these were all those churches outside of Jerusalem. They had peace and they were edified. Edified is a statement that implies they were being spiritually nourished. They were spiritually fed. And because of that, they were stronger spiritually. That's what edified means. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord. See, this isn't the kind of fear where you're afraid of someone because they're going to hurt you. This is respect. It's a respect for someone. And if we can't respect God, then who can we respect? The creator of all things, the lover of our souls. We should respect him. If we can't respect Jesus who died on the cross for us, then who can we respect? He died for us. He didn't just open up a door for us. A lot of people think, oh, well, Jesus is, opens doors and he closes doors. Yes, he does that, but he's not a doorman. He's opening doors that we can have opportunity behind, opportunity to be closer to him, to be in the center of his will. And that's where we really need to be, where we really are fed in the center of his world, uh, will. And we're comforted, it says, so in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Being in the comfort of the Holy Spirit happens when we're walking in the fear of the Lord. You see, if we're not walking in the fear of the Lord, we can't be in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever done something where you felt like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, or I shouldn't have the anger that I have right now in my heart. I, I shouldn't have this frustration with this person because they're a jerk. You know, have, I know you guys don't think people are jerks, but there are jerks out there. Yeah, I are one of them at times. But the thing is, we're supposed to have love for them, have compassion for them, and, and understand that, hey, we're all in this together. We're all a mess at times. So... The Holy Spirit convicts us when we act improperly. When I act like a jerk, he convicts me and says, hey, you're acting like a jerk. And I know it. But see, if I'm not walking in the fear of the Lord, then I won't have that same reaction. I'm not going to have that same connection and awareness of uh, the way that I'm acting. 
But when you have comfort in the Holy Spirit, it's because you have reverence for the Lord. I'm walking in the reverence of the Lord and I have peace from the Holy Spirit. That's how we, we obtain peace. Doing the right thing. And then they were multiplied. That's what was going on in the church. They were trusting in the Lord, walking with him, and they had peace through the Holy Spirit and the church multiplied. How did it multiply? Because people saw that, hey, that group of people is walking in something different. They're not walking in legalism. They're not walking trying to obey Ten Commandments and be perfect. Ten Commandments are great until you get to the tenth one. Thou shalt not covet. You know, then we're all busted. We're all in trouble. But when we recognize that that's not the rule that we live by anymore. We live in the age of grace where Jesus pours grace out. And when we get persnickety, when we live poorly, he pours more grace out. And we recognize it. We realize that he's doing that for us. What do we get out of that? Well, we should be focused on worshiping the Lord with our obedience. That's how we demonstrate worship to the Lord. It's not just singing. Singing is beautiful when we lift our voices to the Lord. You know, I, I love the song that we sang uh, from Matt Redman, The Heart of Worship. That song was because of the fact that the church started, well, the worship leaders that was in his church, they all wanted prominence. They all wanted to be the lead singer, the lead guitarist. They all wanted their roles, and they, they wanted to have their position on the stage. And, and they stopped all the music altogether. They said, hold on, all the, all the instruments off the stage, no instruments on the stage. We're singing a cappella. Everyone sing an acapella until you guys get this right. And then he wrote the song, Heart of Worship. It's all about worshiping from the heart. It's not about instruments. It's not about who's up on stage flashing their guitar around or banging on their drums. It's all about worship. And when they finally got it, then they brought the instruments back. Into, but it's not about the instruments. It's about the object of our worship. And so we do that. We worship him. Not only in song when we sing. But we worship him by obedience. By how we live for him. You know. Is, does God really want sacrifice from us? More than obedience? No. To obey is better than sacrifice. And we just need to be obedient when he calls us to be, which is all the time. Verse 32. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he came down to the saints who dwelt in Leda. 
And there he found a certain man named Anus who had been bedridden eight years and he was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Anus, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And then he arose immediately. And so all who dwelt at Leda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Peter found. When you find something, it means it was lost. And it means you were looking to find something. And he found this man, Enos, that was there in Leda. He went there to find him. I thought that was kind of interesting that he went all through the country and then came to that area. And when he found him, the man had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Anus, do you want to be healed? No, he didn't say that. He didn't ask him if he wanted to be healed. He didn't ask him what his major malfunction was. How come you aren't up and around? He went to him and said, Anus, Jesus the Christ heals you. It was like it was a plan. It was like Jesus said, Peter, go down to Lydda and find Anus and tell him he's healed. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, you don't have to go find someone. You don't have to go to the doctor to get healed. All you have to do is just be laying around and... Someone comes to you and says, you're healed. And then whatever condition that you have is gone and you're healed completely. He had been that way eight years. Numbers mean things in the Bible. Seven is the number of completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And so that's kind of cool that he had been laying there bedridden for eight years and he had a new beginning. Peter came to him and said, hey, Jesus heals you. And it says he arose immediately. He didn't think about it. He didn't wait to see if, you know, he was fully healed. He just got up and did it. Tied up his bed. He said, I'm healed. And he knew it from that point. And not only did he, but all those at Lita and Sharon knew it too. It says, and they saw him and turned to the Lord. All of them saw him. You see, he had been around for seven years bedridden you know someone doesn't lay around for seven years to try to con someone you know it's I'm just gonna lay here and see if I can trick them into you know giving me money he and then Peter comes along 
And then as Peter is hanging out there and Lita after this healing, and now the whole city, two cities, turn to him, and now uh, turn to Jesus, and now Peter's there. He's probably there ministering to them, telling them about Jesus, sharing with them about Jesus. And then as he's there, we read in verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And so here is this Tabitha. Tabitha is a name that means beautiful. And it's also a word that's used for gazelle. She had a, a beautiful appearance and she was like a gazelle. And she dies. And she was known for the good works that she did. She was known for being, it says, that she was a disciple. A disciple means a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so here, she did these charitable works, good works, probably because she was a child of God. She was a Christian. She was a believer. And since Lida was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And so here's Peter, Peter, and Peter, like, like the bread. Here's Peter, the man, in Lida and these disciples that were probably all in a church together there in Joppa. And she was part, this Tabitha was part of that church. She dies and they say, we hear Peter is over in Lita. Let's send two guys over there to go get him. So two more disciples now are going over to get Peter over in Lita. You see, she's dead. They've already washed her. They know she's dead. She's in this upper room to keep the stench away as the body starts to decompose. But they send... Now, Lita was only eight miles from Joppa. So it's a one-day round trip. Because a regular day of travel was about 20 miles back then. So... If they could get there and get him, they can get back the same day. And so uh, they go to send these two men. And Peter, in verse 39, arose and went with them. Arose. He rose. He got right up and went with them. He didn't say, hold on, can you give me the medical condition of this. Give me, give me all the details. Fill me. Isn't that what we like to do when we hear someone sick? Well, can you tell me all the details of the, the sickness? Well, they're dead. Oh. Do you think that would make a difference? Well, I believe Peter knew 
that she was dead. I, I don't think, you know, they came and said, hey, we have someone back in Joppa that's not doing too well. I believe that they said, she's dead, she just died, you know, and can you please come? And it says that Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Here they are in this upper room. And would, now, generally, now remember, Peter had seen people brought back from life. Remember, I think it was Jairus who was uh, the leader of the synagogue. He had his daughter die, and they asked Jesus to come and heal. And Jesus came into the room with Peter, James, and John. And as they were in that room, all of the mourners were there wailing about the death, and Jesus put them out. Because it was like, you know what, these people are just faking it. They're just mourning loudly because that's what they did back then. If you have someone you love and they die, you hire mourners, professional mourners, to come in and wail. And the more wailing going on, the more the person was remembered as a loving person. And, and there, there was more misery because that person's not there. So... Peter had seen this before, saw what Jesus did. He put the mourners out and he brought her back to life. And so Peter had that example. But here he comes and that's not really what's going on. They didn't pay mourners to come up in here. The widows were showing off what Dorcas had made. Dorcas and Tabitha, same person, had made and saying, look, look at what she... Now, were they doing it because it's like she's not going to be able to make any more scarves, you know, is it? I don't think so. I think they were truly saddened by the loss of this woman. And so Peter goes in there in the upper room and Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. You see, he didn't put them out because they were making a bunch of noise or anything like that. He put them out because he wanted to be alone with the body because he didn't want anyone looking at what he was doing as if it were him doing anything. And he knelt down and prayed. You see, his power doesn't come from the words that he was going to say to this young lady, his power was going to come from Jesus. Jesus was the one that was going to do the miracle. And Peter knew he couldn't. So what do we do when we need a miracle done and we know we can't do it? We pray. We ask the Lord, help. Because I know I can't do this. We pray for people that are getting medical treatment, you know, that the doctor would do the best job he can, that the, the people are attentive to the sickness that that person may have. 
But really, it's all about Jehovah Jireh. It's all about the provider, the one who can heal Jehovah Rapha, who heals us of our sickness. We know that he is the one that makes miracles happen. And so Peter was preparing. Remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter, James, and John once again were there, and Jesus went to pray, and he said, hey, wait here and pray. Watch. Watch and pray. And then he went and prayed. He came back. They were sleeping. He did that three times, and they were sleeping. And that was Peter before he was who he was now. You see, he was filled with the Holy Spirit now. And he was allowing the Holy Spirit to give him wisdom, strength, to give him the ability to pray, to know what to say, to know what to pray. And he prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, Peter, she, I know that's good, huh? Peter. He's, I know I'm going to get to heaven. He's going to say, what's wrong with you? Can't you get my name right? Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. How awesome is that? He, he presents her alive. This is what Jesus has done. Brought her back to life. Now she's going to be used by the Lord again to continue the work that she was doing. And it wasn't because of Peter. It wasn't because he was such a great guy. You know what? Any one of the disciples that were in Joppa at the time could have done the same thing. Peter didn't have the gift of healing. Tabitha did. She was the one that was healed. Peter didn't have a special gift to heal people. When someone is sick within the church, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to call the body together, the elders, anoint the sick person, and then pray. Why do we call the elders together? So that one person doesn't get the glory for the healing of the sick person. So that everyone doesn't say, he prayed for her and she was healed. Oh, let's all go to him. Let's bring all the sick people to him alone. Remember when he was walking through Jerusalem, people would lay the, their sick out so that even if the shadow of Peter goes over them, they may be healed. It didn't say they were healed. It just says that's what the people were thinking. That's the mentality of people. Oh, he's got that special power. Let's bring all the people so that even his shadow will heal them. It's Jesus that heals. And we need to be in the right attitude when we're praying for someone too. 
We don't have to give. Have you ever had that group of people come around and, and then the prayer is all, and oh, this person and this happened to them and their dog and, and they were in the car and the airbag deployed. And, and, and it, it's the whole story being you know, laid out. Why? It's not for Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus is taking notes. Oh, is that what happened? Okay, then I'll know how to heal. No. Jesus knows everything about every detail. And so we pray like that so that we can inform all the other people that are there in the prayer group. You know what? It's put the people out and pray for that person that Jesus would heal them. That Jesus would do the miracle. That Jesus would be glorified through whatever the miracle is. It's tough, but that's what we should be doing. And then in verse 40, nope. And in verse 42, it says, he be, it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed on the Lord. It became known in all of Joppa and many believed on the Lord. What happened? You see, Peter was over there in Lida. He brought a guy that was crippled out of the bed. And now that guy's walking around. And all of Lida and Sharon believed. All of them. But here, a girl brought back from the dead and only many believe? What happened to the rest of them? Well, I believe it's because of the fact that there were many that didn't believe she was dead. They didn't know her. They weren't in the upper room. So many of them were just going off the testimony of someone else. Oh, she was dead and Peter went and prayed and... And she's back alive again. Yeah, yeah, sure. People will see your testimony as the same way, in the same way. They will hear your testimony and they will say, yeah, yeah, that's good for you. That's, you don't know my story. That's good for you. Maybe, you know, God makes you feel good that way, but I don't believe it. The word of God is foolishness to those that perish, but to us who believe it is the power of God. And so we as believers know what we believe because we can see the hand of God in our own lives. And so we know that it is true because of what we see in our own lives. It's not that we have to have evidence everywhere else. The evidence is here inside of us. The evidence is the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And so you can't take away the Holy Spirit. No one can pluck us from his hand. And so you can't convince me otherwise. You can bring every scientific fact that you can come up with and show it to me. But you can never convince me that what I believe isn't true because... 
It lives inside of me. He lives inside of me. The truth dwells in me and in you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have received him as your Lord and Savior, oh, you may not feel like it. You may not have goosebumps every time, you know, you watch a Hallmark movie. That isn't what Jesus does. It's something that we accept and believe by faith. It's faith that we trust and then when we get a glimpse of the hand of God working in our lives, then we know it's him. And we say, oh, wow, he did that. That was just a miracle. He did that. And so the people that didn't see the girl being brought back to life, they didn't believe. But many did because they knew there was too much testimony. There were too many people that said this is what happened. And they agreed. Verse 43. So when it was that he stayed many days. Uh, so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. And so here we're going to see a change uh, in Peter's religious system. You see, a Jew would never stay with a tanner. He deals with dead animals. And so anyone that deals with dead animals is unclean. And so here he's staying at the home of an unclean person. That's not something that a good Jew would do. But here Peter is starting to transition into being a follower of God no matter where he sends him. And we'll pick up with that line of thinking next week as we go into chapter 10. But in the meantime, we close considering two things. First, as the church was at peace in the first century and being edified, how are we doing in the 21st century? 2,000 years later, how are we doing being edified and being at peace? Well, there are churches that are at peace. The ones that are being faithful to the word of God. The ones that believe in the word of God and trust the word of God. They're experiencing peace even in the days that we live in right now. No matter what you're going through in your life right now, you can still have peace. That doesn't mean you're happy about what you're going through, but it means you can have peace in the trial that you're going through. Because once we're out of here, there won't be any more trials. So whatever you're going through now, it's just a vapor like our lives. It'll be gone soon. And then we have eternity. And we're not going to be sitting in eternity saying, I remember that time. <laughs> that won't be coming out of our mouth. Second, Peter was being used by God to impact the world. Do we think we're unqualified to do that? Do we think we're unqualified to do it? Peter was a fisherman. And he was great at putting his foot in his mouth all the time. 
you know? And that, that's why I relate to Peter a lot. I grew up that way. Boy, I, you know? And, and so do, are we unqualified? Well, here's the, th here's the good news about Jesus. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. We are the called according to his purposes. And he then takes us and qualifies us for whatever he's called us to do. Isn't that good news? So you are not unqualified. You're very qualified. Just make yourself available. And God will use you for his purposes, for his glory. And I look forward to the day when we're all doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. But you know what? We, we all, I'm, I'm a pastor and I still get caught up doing the things I want to do, you know. And, and then, you know, I get reminded, hold on, pay attention. There's something I need you to do. Go do this. So pay attention. God has something he's going to send you to do. Be ready to go. Amen.